Hello and Happy New Year. You are listening to Clean Beauty School, Mind Body Green's beauty podcast. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Since it is the new year and I am feeling a little bit of an itch for a change myself, I wanted to do an episode on starting fresh, new goals, and keeping motivated. Now, I certainly do not believe that New Year's means you have to make dramatic changes or even have to have a resolution of period. Some years I haven't. And then other years I've set incredibly lofty ambitions for myself. And not to mention, deciding you want to make changes in your life can come at any point in time. You don't need a date on the calendar to kickstart things for you. That being said, it is when many of us set aside time to rethink our habits, evaluate the things that no longer benefit us, and aim to better ourselves, whether that is in our eating habits, our wellness journey, or in beauty. If you happen to be going through that right now, this is a good episode for you to listen to. And if not, that is okay too. There is still a lot of good information in this episode that has nothing to do with resolutions or or motivation, or getting quote-unquote healthy. And to have this chat, I have decided to have on journalist, health coach, wellness and beauty influencer, Tatiana Bokambandi. She is the founder of the meal delivery service, Eat Sunny, has written a few novels, and writes for publications like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, and many, many more. She is an incredibly motivated individual, and she is also somebody who knows a thing or two about starting fresh in her career and setting new goals for herself. So I think she is a great person to talk about all of this with. Without further ado, welcome. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. I am so excited to have this conversation. Obviously, we go back a a while. I worked with you at one of my first major publishing jobs in New York City at Self Magazine. And you were our lifestyle editor and you did so much with food and beauty and just lifestyle in general. And to see what you're up to lately is just such a, a perfect combination of what what I know your passions are and I know where where your motivation is. So I'm so excited to just hear all about what you've been up to lately and what you've been into because you I know that you have great taste. So I'm excited to hear all about it. But I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Can you share your journey with us? You know, how how did you end up in New York and working in the the media and then wellness and beauty industries? Gosh. Okay. Well, so I, I've had a kind of a topsy-turvy path to where I am today. And I started my career at the Wall Street Journal out, out of school. I went to Georgetown and I was very lucky. I had an internship and it would, that was my first job. And I was, I was, I was first trained in New York and then I was sent overseas to Brussels. So I, I actually worked for the Wall Street Journal Europe in Brussels. And then from there, went back to D.C. So long story short, I started my career. I thought I was going to be a political writer. I really loved government, international politics, American politics. That's what I saw myself doing. But then I ended up in New York. I I fell in love with someone. And I ultimately found myself after a stint at American Lawyer Magazine, working freelance 
And that is when I first started to do lifestyle writing. And it started, I think, with travel. Then I was doing fashion, then fashion and beauty. And at that same time, I and ultimately got married, had children, and wrote three novels. <laughs> oh, that, that small feat. Right. I did, but I was like, you know, I was working from home and I was reporting on things that that I was curious about. A lot of health and wellness, fashion, beauty, and travel, and the books, as I mentioned. And then it's funny that our paths crossed. I mean, that was that was my first full-time job, self-magazine working there that I'd had since having my children. So that was a big shift for me. And I, it was a wonderful, wonderful time, but also like a really pivotal time in my life because I was going through or considering a lot of personal changes to my personal life as well. And, and it was a shift professionally because like I said, I'd, I'd really actually kind of done a lot of fashion at that point. And I was burnt out and I just felt like I'd become a journalist because I wanted to be a part of progress and, you know, help humanity. I had very grandiose ideas of like how I wanted my life to matter in the sense that I wanted to make the world a better place. So whether I was reporting on politics or health or, or whatever, you know, I just wanted to have a positive impact. And then I was looking at what I was doing, writing like really kind of fluffy, fun books that I enjoyed writing and, you know, were fun to read and people love to read them. But And then writing about fashion, I just had a hard time seeing the value that I was creating for the world. And I, you know, of course, I also had children. So for me, not spending time with them and spending time doing something else, it, I also had to have some sense of purpose. I think I was just really bitten by the purpose bug. Sure. And I, yeah. And so that's when I, that's when you and I met. And I, I, I love self. I mean, I don't know how you remember it. It was such a fascinating time to be at Condé Nast because there were so many changes. It was the beginning of the digital revolution. What we were doing as a magazine, I thought was really interesting and different, trying to kind of create an, a more elevated um, approach to fitness and wellness that was actually very lifestyle focused rather than just being a fitness magazine or a health magazine, but understanding that you know, the wellness lifestyle was a bona fide lifestyle. And yeah, right. I mean, so it was an exciting time to be there. I thought the magazine that we put out was beautiful. I thought our family, our staff family was like really wonderful. I made so many friends during that time. Yeah, I, just, I have all, you know, very similar thoughts. Like I thought the the brand that we had created was this thing that was really it, it it was it struck a nerve in in what would become wellness and lifestyle as we know it today that I think is so ubiquitous and in in modern culture it's you know lifestyle and wellness are are definitely in the same breath they're synonymous and so it's cool that we were able to to be a part of that so you know almost a decade ago now right and I, that's what I was gonna say was I feel like in some ways we it was almost a little ahead of its time you know it's it is what it is now like it's you know it's that we were like before Bandier was what it was and before so many of these major brands became lifestyle brands you know that's what what we were doing at self and covering that world in the, in that way and it definitely influenced eat sunny which I know we'll get to and how I think about how I think about food and how I think about our brand at Eat Sunny is is 
super influenced by the things that I learned while I was at Self. But but as you know, because you were a part of this history as well, Self became a digital only title. And as a part of that process, I lost my job along with a lot of other people. And at that point, I had a decision to make whether or not I wanted to take a job for a newspaper because I was I was once again headhunted for another newspaper job or do what I had been sort of thinking about doing well at the like tail end of, of my time at self, which was start um, my own business. And I, I'd, I'd spent at that point, I'd spent, you know, over 10 years reporting on these things and, and, and specifically, you know, r- reporting on a lot of female wellness entrepreneurs who were doing great things. And so I had on the one hand, a depth of knowledge that although didn't come from a particular certification or or degree, university degree, or or medical degree, I did feel like I knew a lot about health and wellness and nutrition and fitness, all those things. And then I also felt like I, what I think one of the phenomenons that I've witnessed in my own life, and I've watched other it happen to other people, is that when you're around people who have who do great things or really ambitious things it somehow makes it seem more accessible to you. So whether it's some somebody runs a marathon or somebody starts a skincare company or somebody, you know, writes a, a novel, the, the things that you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how anybody ever like can run 24 miles or write a 300 page book or start a business of any sort. All of a sudden you get this sense of, well, <clears throat> if she can do it, I can do it. And I think having spent so many years of my life reporting on on women doing fantastic things, building businesses that they sell or run, you know, that are that become valued at, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, that seems really inaccessible and like almost like a dream, like a like a plot of a movie. But when you interview enough people and you meet enough people and you realize, well, these people put their pants on one leg at a time, just like or their or their Lulu's whatever the appropriate uh, metaphor is, you know, we're all the same and we're all pr- like, you know, most of the people I know and and I think my, I put myself in that category. I may not be a rocket scientist, but generally you don't have to be to start a business. And, you know, a, lo- a lot of us are very capable. And so that's a huge part of what I try and do with every everything that I do, whether it's my Instagram communication or, you know, with Eat Sunny, I believe in helping people realize what they're capable of, because it's often a lot more than than you think that you are. And I think this touches on the point you made earlier that you wanted to find something with purpose. And I do think that is so much of the wellness industry, especially now, is helping people find purpose. Does that play into, into you starting your company at all? Yes, absolutely. So, so just to kind of close that loop. So when I was after self, I started a business selling nutrition and fitness ebooks online. My partner designed the workouts. I ultimately became a certified personal trainer myself because I I wanted to understand that piece of the business and really enjoyed it. And then I I did the diet side. And and so I that was my first taste of being able to help people transform their lives more one-on-one. And I think there's many ways to feel purpose, but I wanted to be one step closer to the per- person that I was helping. I wanted to have clients. I wanted to be able to see tangible changes in the world that I was affecting. And so that first taste of like 
of of knowing that I had s- turned somebody's life around, that somebody was looking in the mirror, walking down the street, picking up their kids, what have you, and feeling better about themselves and changing the course of their lives and their longevity. That made me so happy. And so when I started hearing from our customers for that business that they were falling off the program or couldn't maintain the program because they didn't have what they called the time to cook, I realized that there was there was another thing that I could do to impact their lives because, you know, I, well, 80% of our health is pretty much what we eat. About 20% of it, this is, you know, this these are not my estimations. This is what sort of is kind of like generally observed yeah. as being true. 20% is what we do in terms of our activity, not just our exercise, but just overall activity. And so the most powerful way to like shift the ne- needle for, for somebody's health and well-being and longevity is through food. And although I created recipes and was working in food by providing, you know, nutritional roadmaps for people, I also realized that everyone is just either too busy or they don't enjoy it. And when someone says, like, I don't have time for something, that means that there's not enough payoff for them. We all make like we all do equations in our head all day long. Like, So why is someone making an hour or two hours to do yoga or, or go to a spin class, but they're not making that same time to be to do meal prep? I think I know the answer. I think it's because you feel really good. You have a sense of accomplishment and you have all the endorphins that come when you work out. And working out is, you know, it can be very addictive because of all those wonderful hormones that flood our bodies and, and that sense of payoff. But meal prep, none of that happens. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't get high from chopping, you know, like a bunch of vegetables and, and portioning them. It's kind of drudgery. And for, for me, I, some people actually do like to cook. I like, I happen to like to cook. It's very meditative. It's relaxed, but not if I'm pressed on time. And, you know, and who is it? So that's what I realized with Eat Sunny is that I could kind of play mother. Like I, I mentioned, I have, I have kids, I have three children. And the most maternal thing for me actually is feeding somebody. And the idea of, of kind of acting like somebody's mother, playing mother, playing a maternal role and saying, here, I'm going to stock your refrigerator with the most nutritious, perfect meals. And so you don't have to worry about that. I just, I, I find that just tremendously fulfilling. And I get, I ha- it does fulfill that need for a sense of purpose that, that I have is this idea of being able to help people relate to their bodies in a more positive way, to take one thing off of their plate that would otherwise stress them out, to nourish them, to flood their bodies with like amazing, you know, superfoods and all the wonderful micronutrients that come with our meals. And, you know, when I get an email from a customer telling me their skin is glowing, you know, they have, we don't ever market for weight loss, but oftentimes that's a result for people, who, you know, who do maybe have a little bit of weight to lose or want to lose some weight. And their energy is up and they're, you know, you can just tell from the tenor of somebody's email that they feel great. And, and they've done it not on a crash diet, not on a juice fast, not on a detox, in a way that has been like kind of steady and sustainable. And so the idea is that it will teach them. And, and also when I have clients who leave, leave me and say, I've been eating Eat Sunny for a few months, I've had X results. It's amazing. But, you know, I think I can you know, I can, I've learned how to, the things that, you know, I feel really good eating and 
we may not keep them as a client, but to me, that's a success. Like I want to teach people how to relate to their bodies and food once again in a healthy, pleasurable way. You mentioned something that I, it touches on a question that I actually often ask guests. And it's, it's this idea of, you know, you, you view this as being maternal and, and it touches into your maternal side. And the question that I often ask people is how did becoming a parent, becoming a mother, change your views on, on wellness and taking care of your body? So before I had children, I struggled a lot with, I think, self-love and body positivity. I was an athlete growing up and I was used to, you know, burning tons of calories and being, you know, just very, very, very active and thinking of my body as an athlete more as in terms of performance than like how it looked. And then when I stopped exercising to like to that extent, became much more about my studies and academics and my career. Like in my in my 20s, I was like somewhat thin. And then all of a sudden I started gaining weight. And and I. You know, you you identify yourself with like looking a certain way or being an athlete, et cetera. And you're like and it's just it's a very it's very hard to sort of realign yourself. And and I like I think a lot of people, I think it's very common. We don't talk about it enough, had a lot of negative self-talk going on in my head and. Then I think having children, I actually gained a lot of weight with my first pregnancy. But then I, when I had Enrico, my first child, something just shifted inside of me. I think you see what your body is capable of doing, the magic. Yeah. I mean, it's just having, I like having a child is, well, first of all, the births of my children are the most happiest times of my life moments of my life and I can't imagine anything coming close. It's just the most miraculous, wonderful thing. I had I I had very good births. So I'm I feel very fortunate that I had those experiences. But but again, like growing a child inside of you, you really see that it's not your body is not something that is just meant to be looked at or fit into clothes a certain way. You know, it's not about appearances. It's about it's about what it can do. And, you know, ultimately when we're going to be in even, I mean, even in our fifties and sixties, I think, and I want to talk about this because I, I feel I have like kind of strong views on vanity. I think vanity is a very good thing to care about how you look is a good thing because it motivates us to stay healthy. Yeah. But ultimately what realigns when you have children is that you see that, that you're capable of, of creating life and that you, that your body actually deserves a lot of respect. And it deserves to be spoken to in loving ways and cared for. And the last piece of this I'll say is that when you have children, you love children the way that we actually all should love ourselves. And so one of the things I've really learned to do when it's not just about how my self-talk, like catching myself, self-engaging in negative self-talk, or even my, in my relationships and other decisions that I have, I think to myself, well, would I want my daughter to say this to herself? Would I want my daughter to allow someone to treat her this way? Would I want my, you know, it, it, there's something about making, like, it's a litmus test now that I use for a lot of the decision-making that I have and how I kind of, you know, think about myself. It's loving my children has allowed me to love myself a lot more, if I guess is the way I can say it. 
I love that. I think that's a beautiful answer. And I, I actually hear similar thoughts from a lot of the parents that I've talked to and which is why I think it's an interesting question just because it does give you a different lens to view the world and especially a a lens that pertains to beauty and wellness in a really unique way. So you know the next thing I want to ask you about is what is your beauty philosophy? This is obviously a beauty podcast and I think that wellness and beauty go hand in hand and you obviously are somebody who has worked with beauty reporting in the past. So I'm curious, you know, how do you view beauty? I love this question and and I think actually Eat Sunny is right. You know, there's this little Venn diagram, right? And one one circle is beauty and one circle is wellness and I think that we really do, you know, that's our little, that's our space right there is like the, where the two collide. And I, I do think they overlap tremendously. And so my, if I would say I have one motto, it is that health is beauty and beauty is health. And so when I, my mom is Costa Rican and was just incredibly ahead of her time, we were taking supplements and eating certain foods. And it just, I think a lot of it comes from the Latina culture. My grandmother, as long as I can remember, has had a, a like a cup of unflavored gelatin for her skin and hair and and nails from as long as I can remember. This, wow, like, that is ahead of... Right. I mean, that's what we're doing when we take collagen supplements. We're, we're eating gelatin, basically. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. So yeah. These things... And she had... She also had bone broth, like, all the time. Okay, so we just mentioned collagen, gelatin, and bone broth. While they all definitely live under a similar umbrella, collagen supplements, gelatin, and bone broth all have some differences. So let's talk about them. We're gonna start with collagen supplements, which are collagen peptides or short chain amino acids. Essentially, these are collagen molecules broken down via a process called hydrolysis into smaller, more digestible bits. These smaller bits are able to actually be absorbed by the body and then circulate, aiding your own natural collagen production through the fibroblasts. We write a lot about collagen on the website, so you can definitely go check out more information there. Now on to gelatin. Gelatin is a form of collagen that has not been fully hydrolyzed and therefore will quote unquote gel in recipes, hence the name but it is also not fully broken down. Thus, it's not as bioavailable as its collagen supplement counterpart. Finally, bone broth is a savory liquid that is made by simmering animal bones and connective tissues in water for an extended period of time, usually about 12 to over 24 hours. Most bone broths also include vegetables, some spices for flavor, and a small amount of apple cider vinegar, which helps release the nutrients from the bones while they cook. It can be full of so many different kinds of nutrients, including amino acids and collagen itself. And people had, you know, in Costa Rica, they had these crazy, they have like some, they seem somewhat crazy because they don't seem too palatable. Like, I don't even understand. It's probably something potassium, like a raw potato smoothie. There's like different recipes that are passed down from generations. But the drink that my mom used to make was pineapple, fresh pineapple with fresh parsley. 
And obviously, and it was like for detoxing and glowy skin. And so, you know, of course, like pineapple is full of bromelain, which is an enzyme that is so powerful in many ways and, and good, great for the skin and digestion. And also, of course, parsley is full of vitamin C and supportive of the liver. And so it's, so I definitely, you know, and I took, you know, brewer's yeast and lecithin every day and omet like fish oil capsules. This is when I was a child. And this was always in, presented as part of her skincare routine and like, and her beauty routine. So what I see today, like, this is how I've grown up. And the, the thought of, you know, how we eat and, and it being reflected in how glowy our skin is or how well we age, that again is something that I've been aware of for a very long time that is pretty new to a lot of people. But the other piece of it is just more like your perspective in terms of how you think about beauty. And I do think that when you're, when you're healthy, when you, and even doctors will say this, like dermatologists, plastic surgeons, who I, you know, I write a lot on this. I still write, you know, from time to time for different publications on beauty. But when they say like, oh, I, so-and-so has like, a filler or a facelift or a nose job or whatever it is. And the doctor will routinely say, when I know I've done it correctly, it's because my patient comes back and says, you look rested, you look healthy, right? So to me, what that means ultimately is even in our brains, the way we register beauty is by, is actually we're registering health. And I brought up earlier, one of my other big philosophies is that vanity is something that, especially in the United States, we, we denigrate. We were like, you shouldn't be vain. Vanity is bad. But actually, to me, vanity is a natural human impulse and it exists for a reason. And I believe that that reason is to make us healthy because when we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see, which of course is vanity, when you look in the mirror and you do like what you see, you know, if we don't, oftentimes the changes that we make are health-related changes. We start eating better. We start sleeping more. We start drinking less alcohol. We start exercising more. And so if you think about it, like the desire to look in the mirror and like what you see motivates us to make a lot of healthy lifestyle choices. So why do we feel like vanity is such a terrible thing? It isn't. I so agree with that last point because at the end of the day, we all just want to feel good in our skins. Like, that's why we do any of this. We just want to feel comfortable in our own bodies. And taking care of yourself is one of the ways to do that. Obviously, there are other things you need to address. You obviously need to address mental health. You need to address, you know, your surroundings and making sure that you're surrounded by good people. There's so many, you know, aspects that play into this. But one huge aspect is taking care of your physical self and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, to your point, why would we do it? Why why are humans drawn to it instinctively if there wasn't an ultimate purpose to it? Yes. And but also to your point about mental health and feeling feeling good. I think I agree with you 100%. Ultimately, if like I don't care how good you look, it doesn't matter if you're not happy. But again, doing things that like exercising, sleeping, not drinking too much, and eating well, those things absolutely do impact your your mental health as well. Like both in, in, you know, in terms of like serotonin levels, because you have good gut health, 
blood sugar balancing, if you, you know, suffer from anxiety, you know, there, the food that there's been countless studies on the impact of, of omega fatty acids, like omega threes and other kinds of foods on preventing or mitigating the effects of depression, for example. So there's, and there's more and more research being done all the time. So I absolutely do think there is a correlation between, you know, the exercise that we're getting, the, the sleep, all the things that we do to maybe look better, also helping our, our mental health. But then the other piece of it is, of course, like it, when you look in the mirror and you like what you see, you feel more confident, you walk through the world in a different way. You, you hold yourself a different way. And then people respond to you differently. I know that because it's ha that transformation has happened to me. Is, you know, when we, you and I met at Self, I was in the midst of, a, of my own personal physical transformation. I had lost, you know, kind of my sense of self, who I was. I looked in the mirror. I didn't love what I saw. And you know what's funny is, like, I think I'm actually probably a little heavier now than I was then. But but I am so much more confident because I I just I like myself so much more. And a big part of that was changing the way I worked out, changing the way I ate, looking in the mirror and seeing that I I, you know, my identity is so wrapped around being an athlete. So I like looking athletic. That makes me feel confident. So when I lift weights and when I eat in a way that's supportive of having you know, beautiful toned muscles and having them, you know, kind of show and having an athletic physique that makes me walk through the world and in a more confident way. And people respond to that energy and treat me better. And it just becomes this like wonderful, you know, kind of self-fulfilling in a very positive way cycle of like, I feel better. Therefore I get, you know, I'm, I'm probably better to other people too. And it just, it's my life has changed and, and for and for the better. Good good things happen. And you wonder why yeah. it's just it's the vibration you put out. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about your uh nutrition and diet philosophy. Obviously, that is what you do for a living with Eat Sunny. And that is obviously, you know, something that we have even touched on throughout this episode that eating is so to the core of how we take care of ourselves. But I want to get into a little bit of the details and how exactly you structure your eating routine and your diet philosophy. Do you have kind of an overarching way that you view nutrition? Yes, of course. So <laughs> should, I, I don't think I should be in this business if I didn't. But I mean, I love answering this question. It's a great question. I, I think of how, when I think about how I nourish my own body personally, which is, you know, an Eat Sunny is an extension of what I believe in for myself. I, th I think I, I have a very common sense approach. I think that people try to hack their way into losing weight or, or you know, lowering cholesterol or whatever it is or, or reducing inf inflammation. But I think that actually, you know, there's no, there are no short cuts to to having a good diet and taking care of yourself. And so my approach is is like kind of boring. You know, I think it's in the sense that it's based on the Mediterranean diet, which has been around forever and ever, and is therefore, you know, people always like what's new and what's whatever, but it has the greatest amount of science-backed research in terms of being 
the best thing to prevent different kinds of cancers, degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, chronic diseases, chronic metabolic diseases like diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. So the Mediterranean diet is my approach to eating. It's just a very balanced way of, of feeding the body. The way that I think about it, it's an, it's an emphasis on things like walnuts and nuts and healthy nuts and olive oil and fish. But it's also a macronutrient approach that is not low in carbohydrate. It's using specific carbohydrates that are slow digesting, have lo are lower glycemic or have low glycemic impact on the blood. So they're not going to cause insulin spikes and your blood sugar is going to be balanced. And then of course, when you, when you eat a carbohydrate often comes with a smart portion of lean protein, whether it's from fish or shrimp or, or, you know, poached chicken. And we do have a little bit of like grass fed beef on the menu as well. And, and I occasionally crave beef. And so when I, when I, want it, I have it, but again, a small portion of it. And, and so, and then, an, of course, an emphasis on all of the superfood type green, you know, leafy greens and, you know, and foods like, you know, cauliflower, broccoli, sweet potatoes, all those superfoods. And because also because I, and let, and legumes too. And then, so that's, that's really my approach to nourishing my body. And it's not, it's not like anything crazy. It's the word that I use to describe it the most often is it's a common sense, science-backed approach to eating healthfully. And there's, you know, there's, there's no tricks. It's not like you can eat it whatever you want, but just take two bites. It's not like eat whatever you want, but don't eat this entire food group, you know, like Atkins or, or dairy-free programs or we don't eat, we don't have a lot of gluten on the menu. We have very little, in fact, and we have very little dairy. But the, we don't, you know, you're never going to hear me demonize or say never about a, about a food. We so that's that's really my approach to feeding myself is is just I will I don't want anything to be off the menu. But what I eat a ton of, what my body craves, is you know vegetables. And really healthy food. Like I love oatmeal. I love egg white omelets. I love, I mean, I love zucchini noodles. I love big salads. And I guess my other philosophy about eating is, is that the more you, you feed your body a certain way, you know, and flood it with various nutrients and feed it in a balanced diet and the right amount, you know, a smart portioning the more the body becomes used to that. So I believe that, I really believe in harnessing the power of habit in a good way. Obviously, habits can be bad habits too, but the body craves what, what you feed it. It's part, of, it's part of, you know, our circadian rhythm. And I witnessed that, for example, with my cats. Like they know when it's six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock at night because that's when they get fed. And any animal does. And, and, you know, as humans, we're, we're pretty much just animals. Like our bodies know when it's time to eat. That's why we get hungry at the same time, because we, we put ourselves on a rhythm. And it, it, and so you can do, you can use that power that the body actually wants to eat the same thing, to get the same nutrients and maybe different variety of flavor, but like it wants to eat at the same time. And so, so 
the couple things to understand from that is like you can harness that and use that in, in a positive way. I think it's very, it's very healthy to have a very structured approach to eating in terms of time and total sort of total energy and macronutrient blend. But at the same time, that's, it, that's why it's so hard to make changes. And if you know that when you're starting out a new program, like for example, you know, I know this podcast is going to air in January. So a lot of people are trying to d adopt healthy, new healthy eating or, you know, lifestyle traits that may be a new healthy approach to, a healthier approach to eating. And so the one thing to really keep in mind whenever you do that is it is hard work because your body is used to eating, perhaps it's used to eating a lot of sugar or caffeine. Not that I demonize caffeine, but but whatever it is that you're feeding it and trying not to like eat, you're trying to shift away from, it is very hard work to do that in the beginning. But the thing to remind yourself is the more that you, the, it will get easier, first of all. And the more that you eat about like balanced meals and eat, you know, a, a proper portioning of lean protein and vegetables, et cetera, the more your body will become accustomed to that. And the more you'll find yourself craving that instead of perhaps the foods that you're trying not to eat now. I mean, this slides so well into my next question, which is I want to talk about kickstarting the new year and staying motivated and all that comes into this time of, you know, I think it is a little cliche at this point to do new year, new you. But at the same end, I do think that there are a lot of people who who just naturally want to use the new year as as a time to to set goals for themselves and to maybe start fresh or, you know, just start treating themselves better. And, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I, let's talk about how people can start new journeys. Right. Well, first of all, I, I, I do agree with you that it's like the idea of it, new year, new me. It's, there is this undercurrent um, to that thinking that mindset that's like, I'm not enough the way that I was like December. And, and now I need to become a new person in January because my, my December self is not good enough. I, I think that what is powerful is when what you were really suggesting in, in what you just said and, and saying is that actually the, what happens in January is it's a wonderful time to start prioritizing one's health. And that's, that's a, you know, giving yourself permission to maybe say no to some invitations to go to dinner or some work events or whatever. You're giving yourself permission to prioritize going to that workout class after work or instead of boozing, or, you know, with friends on Friday night, you know, going out for a healthy meal and not drinking. So I, I think that it actually it's like it's it's really a very beautiful it's a wonderful time to do it. And whether whether you use January or July or any any given Sunday, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are making that bold and courageous step to prioritize your health and well-being. So I just want to say that for as a first thing. <laughs> I I do obviously agree with you. And yeah, like you said, it, this can happen any time of year, mind you. So if our listeners um, are listening to this after the fact that it's not quite January, just it's never too late and it's never a bad time. But, you know, let's let's chat a little bit about taking that first step. Is there anything that you tell people who are perhaps a little bit nervous or anxious 
to start going on a more health conscious journey? Yes. So I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is it's much like, again, I'm going to just create a, a little bit of a metaphor for either writing a book or training for a marathon. These things may seem incredibly daunting. If whatever your goal is, to whether it's to get fit or lose weight or or stop drinking, you know, it, it's or cut back on your whatever your your health goal is, it can be very scary because it just seems so undoable. It's like this this like huge thing. Like, how am I going to do this? This seems so hard. And I I think the way that I've accomplished running a marathon and writing books is that you chunk it out. You don't think about the huge, undoable, like final, you know, task or you, you focus on what you can do today. So or the next three days, you take it bit by bit. It's like you run you run a marathon mile by mile. You write a book page by page. And all you need to focus on is what is immediately in front of you. And and even sometimes, like, for example, if I'm going to work out and I'm really freaking tired, I say to myself, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to try and run six miles today. I'm just going to, you know, get on the treadmill and start walking. And lo and behold, after like 10 minutes of walking, I'm like, well, maybe I can start running today. So that's what I tell people is don't think about like getting to up for even 21 days. Think about three days, you know, think about just focusing on accomplishing either eating in a new way for three days or working out for three days or what we're not drinking for three days chunk it out into things that to time frames that are very doable for you and into into goals that are doable that could be perhaps for somebody trying to change their eating habits i don't have that bag of chips i don't change anything else except i don't have that bag of chips at four o'clock or i don't change anything else except i stop drinking diet soda like you can you can take bite-sized little morsels and focus on like one little goal or one shorter amount of time. But the other thing is that I think you are far more successful at hitting your goals, and I've seen it time and time again, when you create structure. And this is actually why some of those fad diets are popular and work. It's because they are so structured. So if you're removing a, an entire food group, Again, I don't endorse any of these diets, but but the reason why they work is because they overall you're going to start taking in less food, and and that's how we lose weight. It's there's there's no magic to it. It's simple math. It's simple caloric deficit. And so in the in the immediacy when you remove a food that you've been eating, you you don't know behavioral wise you don't know how to replace it. So there's there's a immediate caloric deficit that will lead to weight loss. Over time, what we do as humans is we adapt. And then we start filling that amount of, of calories that we didn't take from other from certain foods in with others. And then that's why you often see people start gaining weight again on these diets because they've adapted. They've not, they were gluten-free. They were losing weight. All of a sudden, they found the gluten-free aisle in their you know, in their grocery store and they start adding all these other foods back in that are gluten-free, the calories come back into the diet, they go back to their, their original weight. But it was powerful as a diet in the beginning because it created this structure. So with the Mediterranean diet, with Eat Sunny and with plans that I think are better for the long term and that are sustainable, it's don't demonize a food, don't take a food off 
all out all the way because we will adapt as humans. We will find something else to take the place of that. But teach people how to portion and and help create structure. So if someone's giving you like, hey, this is all your food for a day. You just eat this. You don't have to make any decisions. You don't have to worry about anything. And and then it it will allow them to kind of re reset their you know their taste buds so that they're used to eating foods that are maybe not as salty or as fatty or as sweet, because that's the thing that happens. And it'll also give them, you know, just like a sense of structure. What's very common for the majority of us is something called disordered eating. And that just means that we, you know, people do this kind of strange behavior all the time. I mean, it's very, very common. You don't eat breakfast. You starve yourself throughout the day. Then you binge at night, you eat and eat, and you never feel satisfied. It's like, because you've you've taken away your body's ability to like kind of naturally calibrate itself to know what what feeling sustained but not overfed feels like or even underfed. So that's like what I think is really fantastic about giving yourself a program like Eat Sunny or there are many other people who do what I do, whether it's us or somebody else, is that you're really giving yourself, we're like holding your hand through the process. And the other thing that you learn when you get your weight loss certification or do any health coaching that has a behavioral aspect to it, like I've done, you know, some of this secondary education work, is that there's such a thing as decision fatigue. And so when someone is trying to make changes in their life, whether it's exercising or, or changing their nutritional habits or, you know, moderating their drinking or quitting drinking, the less amount of decision-making somebody can make, the more likely they are to succeed. It's just something they've done, like, you know, a lot of studies around. And so, again, having structure, whether if you can't afford a diet, like a diet delivery service or a meal delivery service, then follow, follow a book. You know, that will take away all your decision-making and say, this is what you're going to, you know, eat. And this is what. And so in the beginning, when you're making these life adjustments, because, again, to go back to my original point, it's very hard to make changes, but that 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 changes the longer you engage in healthy activities, then habit takes over and you can harness that in a positive way. But in the beginning, it's very nice to have some structure to help you get into that kind of like maintenance phase where like, just think of it as your body will go on autopilot. In the beginning, you've got to drive it. You're driving that car, but then at a certain point, it will go on autopilot. So to get yourself there, it's very nice to give yourself, whether it's hiring a coach, a nutritionist. So I'm actually just going to take a moment to plug a new program we have here at MindBodyGreen, which is our certified coach training program, which lives alongside our functional nutrition program, which actually just got a bit of a revamp recently. But onto the new wellness coaching. We have tapped some of the top doctors and wellness professionals in the world for a comprehensive program that will help you launch a rewarding new career, evaluate your existing wellness practices, or even address ongoing health concerns. You can learn more about both of these programs on our website if this is of interest to you. Following a, a, a meal, like whatever your budget is, so either, you know, ordering from us, if you have more money, hire a nutritionist and like, you know, have a, somebody cook for you. If you have less money, buy a book that has a very sensible nutritional approach. I'm working on one, by the way. <laughs> but, but so there you can, well, you can find something that is out there for every budget. But the general behavioral takeaway is 
know that it's going to be hard in the beginning, create all this kind of structure and support around you so that you're more likely to have success to get you to that point where you'll be on autopilot. I I do think having a support system is such a crucial, crucial part of this and such a a vital part of staying well in general. You know, I think especially in the past two years, we've all come to realize how important community is in all aspects of our lives and especially in wellness and especially sticking to to your wellness goals. Now, obviously, you can find community if you join programs like this. You can find community if you, you know, hire a trainer or a coach of some sort. There are ways to find it. But do you have any advice on helping people find a community like within within their friends or, you know, creating that structure in their life? So where they feel more motivated to to stay healthy? Yes, absolutely. I have a great group of girlfriends. A large portion of my girlfriends are all ex-beauty or current, you know, beauty industry people. And of course, we're all super into like how our skin looks and how we're aging because we're, you know, I'm in my 40s now and and staying, you know, vibrant and feeling good. So I I often do little challenge, like no drinking challenges with my friends. I find that that is super, super helpful because if we're all not drinking, then we find activities or we meet up and we we encourage each other and what I like to do, I, I love, I love to drink like, and I love making great cocktails. I think I'm, you know, pretty good at that. I also like one of my greatest joys is a beautiful glass of, of, you know, red wine. So I'm not saying, you know, that alcohol needs to be taken out entirely, but I do do these things like these, like kind of like no drinking weeks pretty frequently. And it, I've noticed 100% when I'm not drinking, my skin looks so much better. And I sleep better and I, you know, it's, I think it's important for me. It's, it's one of my major tips as a health coach and, and with all my friends as well. And so we'll do together weeks of like no drinking, like, okay, you know, I, I feel like I've been overdoing it, going out too much. I'm going to do two weeks and then I'm on, you know, text chains with my girlfriends. And, and as soon as I say it, there's always like two more girls who are like, I'll do it with you. You just need to be the one uh, who is initiating it. And you'll, I think you'll often find whether it's like, I want to start going on walks in parks. Like I have another girlfriend instead of drinking, because we would start drinking at like, you know, most people do it, start, have a cocktail at six or seven. A great way to not do that is then just go meet a friend and go on a walk or go to the gym and meet on the treadmill, you know, or take a yoga class change your habits to support to support what you're trying to do in other areas. And so having a friend to meet holds you accountable, makes it more enjoyable. And it's just it, you feel less alone in your journey if you're if you're doing it with someone else. The last thing that I want to get into is your own wellness and beauty habits. You know, we've talked quite a bit about your food philosophy. So We'll we'll skip that and we'll go into how do you move your body. You you've talked about how being an athlete is so important to you, but do you stick to a fitness routine, or what fitness routine do you stick to? Yeah, yes, I have a fitness routine one hundred percent, and it includes weightlifting. I'm a big big proponent of that. I think that a lot of women are afraid to lift weights because they don't want to get big and bulky, and that can happen. 
but you have to eat a tremendous amount of protein in a very specific way in order to develop the muscles that most of us wouldn't necessarily want to have when we think of like, for example, bodybuilders. So I really encourage women not to be afraid of lifting weights. I lift weights twice a week at the moment. So I do one upper body day that I cycle between back, shoulders, chest, biceps, and triceps. And I always work my, my abs on this, that same day. And then I do another day where I just focus on lower body. So really honing in on the glutes and, and you know, some hamstring work and quadricep work. And then again, I also work on my abs that day. And those are very intense workouts, especially the leg day. It just is very, like, it just, it's a very depleting workout. And I only, I only do it once a week right now. But what I've noticed, and then on the other days, I will run or do cardio. I might do the stair mill one day a week and then elliptical and spinning a couple other days a week and run one or two days a week. And then if I can, and I'm making actually a bigger effort to do this, get in a, a yoga day as well, just because. I love yoga. I mean, I just, I, I love moving my body that way. I love the way I feel. It really balances me. I think it's a nice yang to the rest of the yang that I, you know, do in the gym. But for me, movement is a seven day a week thing, whether it's like an intense workout or a light workout. I just need it for my brain and my own mental health. It's what I think of as my time. I listen to music and I just move my body and it makes me happy. And, and so it's a big part of my, it's a big part of my life, actually. The other thing I'll say about weightlifting is I have no scientific data to support this, but I really do think it's a fountain of youth because when you lift weights and tax your body in that way, it helps you, first of all, you know, you create muscle mass, which reduces your, well, reduces the amount of sarcopenia that happens every year, which is natural decrease in the amount of muscle mass you have in your body. That's related to the amount of growth hormone that you have in your body, which of course declines as we get older. So when you work out, it, 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 it jolts your system to create more growth hormone and more muscle mass and kind of puts you back in that hormonal state that is more akin to a younger self versus an older self. So since I've started lifting weights, I've noticed that like my posture is better. I stand taller. I also think I'm shrinking less because of my bone density, and which is improved by by weightlifting. And I've also noticed that, like, yeah, I don't know, like my skin, everything, everything looks younger. So I don't really understand the mechanism, but I do think that weightlifting releases hormones in your body that also impact the like either the bones in your face as well or or the quality of your skin. So that's one thing. But I want to talk about my beauty routine too. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, let's chat about your beauty routine. What what are some of your favorite products? What do you do for yourself morning and night? Are there any treatments that you swear by? Okay. So you know, I mean, like as I am also a beauty writer. So even though I have this whole wellness guru hat. I oh, also- and it's I I certainly know this, and I also certainly know that you have excellent taste in beauty. So I'm dying to hear what you're into lately. Well, thank you. Okay, so I am obsessed with this cleanser that I actually got off of a table at Self Magazine. And I know, it's so hilarious. That's where I found it, and I've been using it ever since. It's from this brand called Michael Todd that I've never been pitched them. You know, I've been pitched like every... (laughs) 
every beauty company under the sun has pitched me except for this one brand. And I guess I buy it off of Amazon. It's, it's, it's organic. And they used to make this cleanser, this honey and oat cleanser that they no longer make. And so, so when they, I was like devastated, but then I started using, they have a charcoal cleanser that is just as good. So I, I use the Michael Todd clean, charcoal, black charcoal cleanser. And then because I'm very acne prone, which people are always like, what are you really? I'm like, yes, but I manage it. <laughs> I'm like, a, I'm like an acne pretty much success story because I suffered from so such bad acne for so long. But the, so the game changers for me for dealing with my acne are Axone, which is, I guess, sold d- generically as Dap, Dapzone. And, and also I take spironolactone, which, which the dermatologist will tell you is like the beauty pill because it, it, it really helps with hormonal acne, even though it's a, a, it's like a diuretic originally, it was developed for totally different purposes. What they realized is like this wonderful side, side effect is that it's, it's also a hor- like a hormone blocker. It's a testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. It blocks testosterone. And I want to say androgen maybe too, but I'm not sure. Yes. So it does boom two things. It helps reduce hormonal acne, which is what I have always had. And it also helps prevent hair loss that's related to like, like androgenic hair loss, which we all have, including women. And I didn't really know that. But so it, it has, I think you have to take it in higher amounts if you want it, want it to have an impact on sort of natural hair pattern, like baldness that happens. It happens to women and to men, both of us. But you have to take it in a higher amount, which I don't, I don't know if I do because I'm really just taking it for my skin. Yeah. And then also I you have to be on a birth control of some sort because it is you don't want to be taking this if you're going to get pregnant or you know what I'm saying? Like it's one of because it does have an impact on your your hormones. So those are two things that I do. And then I also every day use Elta MD Clear. That's like my other must have go to. It's a, Elta MD is a, a brand that's sold in a lot of dermatologist offices. I order it off of Amazon and it's the only sunscreen that and Tizzo are the only two sunscreens I've found that don't make me break out. Every other sunscreen I've tried makes me break out horribly. Yeah. Um, sunscreen's hard for acne prone people. Oh my gosh. And it's like, I felt for years, like I was just like, okay, well, I'll just take the, I'm either going to get pimples, which will leave marks on my skin, or I'm going to do sun damage to my skin. So I'll just choose the sun damage, which was bad. But now I've found a lot of people make make that choice, though. You know, they go through that mental math of, okay, what do I want less of, you know? Right. So I don't think right. you're the only one. Well, yeah. So, so Tizzo is what I've run in because they do a great, they do a great like sweat proof, water resistant one. And then Elta MD is what I wear. And it also has a really nice tint to it. And so then on top of that, I use Isden. They have a, a mineral powder that is also a sunscreen. Yeah, uh, I remember it being really good. I haven't used it in a while, but. It's so, it's so good. So that's my, and also, by the way, I recently found out that um, using a tinted sunscreen actually gives you more uh, protection from the sun than a non-tinted sunscreen. Yeah, and it also, I think, helps with visible light. So. Yeah, no, that's that's the sort of stuff we're getting from our 
computers and even indoors, it's like one of those things you can't really escape. So right. that's why I do a tinted as well. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So that tinted L to MD clear and then the ISDEN and then I'll use whatever, whatever, you know, I get a lot of free products. So that in terms of like bronzers and blushes and that and then I but I do have like a go-to eyeliner that's a cheap drugstore eyeliner from Revlon that I just buy again like five of them on Amazon and then I love an eye serum eyelash serum Talika they make this great I put it on my brows and my lashes because I I have terrible brows and lashes they're like like not not very not not naturally long or full and okay, so that's like the beauty routine pretty much. Oh, I also love Tarte makes this like a blush, not a blush. What's, what is it? A cheek stain, Tarte's cheek stain. And I put a little bit on my cheeks and I put dab a little bit on the bridge of my nose. And it just gives you that look of like you've been out in the sun all day. And so I, that's part of my like one of my beauty secrets. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then the other thing that I do, like especially if I'm going out is I draw a line of highlighter. It doesn't matter which one. I like the creamy ones, but I'll just do a little a little line down my nose and on my cheekbones to highlight my cheekbones and give give my so I don't like I don't have time to contour, but I just I like a little bit of highlighter just on the bridge of my nose and on my cheekbones. I feel like that that somehow does a lot for my face. And then how could I forget? This is also maybe the most important like this is my desert island if I had <laughs> it would be a toss up between the Elta MD and then my Clédipo concealer underneath my eyes and a like classic Yes. Oh my gosh. It's not, it's, I've not found any concealer that's like it. And then of course, in like the corners of my nose, like in my, around my nostrils, that gets like red and capillary. So I put it there too. And then at night, um, talking more about skincare routine, I, again, like cl I double cleanse because I want to make sure my skin is like super clean again, like being someone who suffers from acne, I'm just like hyper, you know, got to have clean skin, aware of that. And then I've been using this amazing, pat. it's like a salicylic, one of those, you know, kind of acid BHA peel pads from a company called Skin Fix. And they're fantastic. I'm obsessed. I'm like, they make, they, they do a lot for my hyperpigmentation and kind of evening out my complexion because I'm Latina and olive Latina skin. This is just like what happens to it. It's just, we, we soak up the sky, sun. So even if I don't burn, I'm always dealing with a little bit of melasma that came on in one of my pregnancies, but more generally just the natural hyperpigmentation that my skin type is susceptible to. So those pads really help even out my complexion. And then I, I use almost every night now Retin-A just like a 0.05%. And I put, I dot it like around my, more like around the outside of my face. And then I rub in because I find that I'm more likely to peel around my nose, around my mouth, but I can, my skin can handle a little bit more of it, like a little, you know, further away from the center line. And so I was telling a dermatologist about this whole method of like applying my Retin-A and he, and he was, and I was like, I think my skin's thicker, you know, on the, like closer to my ears and, and it's thinner around my mouth, et cetera. And he's like, no, like that's, your skin is the same thickness throughout your face. He's like, I don't know where he came up with that. He said, the difference is there's more sebum probably, 
you know, in those other parts of your face. And so that therefore it's a little bit more protected from peeling because it just has all that natural, those natural oils and hydration. So it's less likely to get dehydrated and, you know, over, over peeled from the retin-A more over or irritated. Well, you know, Um, if it works for you, it works for you. (laughs) Right. This is my little method. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so, you know, I get sent so much. The only other thing that I use that I, there I have two moisturizers that I love, love, love. And um, one is from a company called Poswell Aging. They are, they kind of tout themselves as menopause beauty or perimenopause. I'm not in perimenopause yet. I'm sure I will be soon, but this is literally one of the best collagen booster moisturizers that will not make me break out. It hydrates, it plumps. It's like, it's super awesome. And then I also like the Definage. I don't know if you've ever tried them. They're So I haven't, but they get recommended quite a bit here. Yeah, they, they're excellent. It just, they, it just makes your skin really glowy, plump. It's a great anti-ager. And again, you know, for me, like the biggest thing is like, okay, how does my skin feel on it? And does it make me break out? And if it like feels better, looks better and doesn't make me break out. I'm like, this is now my new, like, best friend. So, and then uh, I really love, if anybody sends me a hyaluronic acid, just serum, straight serum, I love using that. But I often will use that, like, if I'm going out at night, I'll, I'll, like, save it for then. So I just get, like, all that great plumping. I do something similarly where I don't use a hyaluronic every day, but if if I know that I'm doing something, that is when I'll use it. Because I don't, I don't think I need it every day, but I do need just like a little bit more plumping and lift and hydration when I'm going out at night. Yeah, it's when you want your skin to look extra plump and, you know, bouncy. You're, you're like a lot younger than I am, so, you know. That much younger. <laughs> well, it's, but it is, it's, it's, de- yeah, it's a good one. I'm using the one from Laura Devgan right now, and I love it. It's really good. Well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all your your best motivation and wellness and beauty tips. I I really enjoyed this conversation and you are obviously such a thoughtful and intelligent person to chat with. And I just, I, I love being able to connect here again today. This was so fun. Thank you, Alex. It's been, it's been great for me as well. I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to talk to your listeners at Mind Body Green. I'm such a big fan of the website and I've been, it's been so fun watching you also in, in your career as you've done so many fantastic things since our time itself. So thank you for having me on. It's great to, to be reconnected. Hey everyone, thank you so much for coming by and listening to today's episode. If you liked this episode and you like this podcast in general, don't forget to rate and review us and I will see you next week.